find yourself thinking that you're not good enough or that you're not lovable. Many people hide a dark side that they feel that if others knew their secrets, it would be detrimental to their relationships. It doesn't need to be that way at all. This is where words can't reach. Shedding light on our dark side with your host, Dr. Madeline DeLittle can help. It's time for a frank and open discussion about the things that are bothering us and say what needs to be said. Dr. DeLittle and her guest experts are here to help you understand and provide advice. Now, here is Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Hello and welcome to Voice America Empowerment Channel. My name is Dr. Madeline DeLittle and you're listening to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on a Dark Side. And today's topic is Reclaiming Your Body, Trauma, Yoga and the Satir Model. And it's the second part um, from last week. And my guest today is an expert on this topic. And so welcome, Danielle Braun-Kaufman. Hello. Hey. Hi, Madeline. Thank Hello. you. <laughs> Thank you for coming on again. This is going to be wonderful. We're just going to carry on from where we left off. Mm-hmm. But let me first tell uh, the listeners a little bit about you, because they may not have caught this last week. Sure. Uh, So you are um, a marriage and family therapist, I gather, and um, you also supervise other therapists. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And your specialty is, is on shame and anxiety and depression, trauma, and prenatal and postpartum stress, grief and trauma. Mm-hmm. So, so that means you're working with mums before and after the babies are born, mm-hmm. and in, yep. in in some cases, if they've lost the baby. Yes, yes. Mm. That's not easy work. No. Um, but you're also tr- you do trauma informed yoga, which I would really like to um, see if we could weave that through today. Sure. That's that's a concept that I'm I don't know much about. Mm. Um, so. You run. You actually run and own a holistic health clinic here, and um, along with other mem- you've got therapists on your staff and yoga teachers. And who else have you got there? We have therapists, yoga teachers. We have a mindfulness practitioner, mm. and we have um, a holistic nutritionist who specializes in the gut-brain connection. Oh wow. Wow. And we are looking for RMTs <laughs> and physio if uh, anyone out there knows someone in this area that would want to join us. In, in what, what area are you looking for? Well, we're looking for um, chiropractors and physiotherapists and uh, registered massage therapists to wow. join us who would also um, want to work from a place of being trauma-informed. And so just let's just get this one over and done with. Your email is Danielle, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E, at Repose Therapy, R-E-P-O-S-E, therapy.com, or one word. Repose Therapy is one word. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. So um, I asked you this last week, but in case listeners weren't here, weren't listening in, uh, just can you just share with us what it is that you – uh, what what brings you to do this work, this trauma-informed work? Mm. <laughs> That's a big question. That's the, That's the big one. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, it's both personal and professional, as I think it so often is with therapists. Mm. Um, 
you know, why I work from a place of being trauma-informed is because I experienced a lot of trauma growing up um, in the first probably 20 years of my life and after in some ways. And um, well, I worked as a therapist for quite a number of years and even was trained as a marriage and family therapist whenever trauma came up, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 there's that, you know, some people are traumatized, we don't do that kind of thing. And that just never worked for me, probably because I knew my own history. And I knew that even if I was coming in with something like, I don't know, anxiety or issues in my marriage or whatever, that the trauma of my past would be impacting Um what I was coming in with in some way. And so I, I pretty much dug into that right away. As soon as I graduated, I started taking courses postgraduate that would help me understand more how to work with people who had experienced trauma. And at that point, I didn't quite understand that really all of us have experienced trauma in one way or another. We talked about in the last episode, but it's probably worth um, revisiting again, the definition of trauma that I work with. Yes, yes, is, please do. Yeah, yeah is, is broad in the sense that it's any unpredictable or unexpected experience where choice is taken away and it threatens your physical, mental, emotional, or sexual well-being. So it's it can be anything from, you know, a really unexpected um, a car accident, like just a very brief kind of like bumper accident, but something that's really unexpected, you know, that kind of sends your body into a place of feeling like, it was unsafe at that moment in time to something like what I experienced, which was more chronic and developmental where my upbringing was one where there was more of a chronic sense of fear and unpredictability because of the domestic violence that was happening in my home. So it's, it's this broad spectrum. And as I started to learn about it and understand it, I understood pretty quickly in my own healing that the typical ways of working with anxiety and depression and even like suicidal ideation were more cognitive based, were more about thinking differently in order to feel different. And that never worked for me at all. That, and, that, would, that would be, sorry to interrupt, that would be sort of pre- regular kind of therapy yeah normal talk therapy and you you tried that for years I tried that and there were some things that were helpful in Mm -hmm. terms of having a new uh, paradigm and perspective but there was always um I didn't know how to name it at the time there was always just something deeper that would take over anyways, even so I would, I would get to the point where I would know, like, there's not a threat right now. Why do I feel 
like there's a threat. Like my anxiety is so high that I feel like I'm in a life or death situation right now, but cognitively I would know that's not what's happening. And in fact, it would perpetuate a sense of shame because I would have all this understanding, you know, intellectually that I shouldn't feel this anxiety right now. So then I would feel like there was innately something wrong with me that I had that anxiety at that moment in time. And so it would make it worse and it would perpetuate it. And you shouldn't be feeling that way. You shouldn't be feeling the way you felt. So that adds to the shame. Yeah, because the context wasn't something that was that threatening from the outside. Right, right. Right, so that's where the should came from. And so it took me quite a while. Probably it took me until I have three children and my youngest is going to be seven this fall. And it wasn't until after his birth that I went to a yoga class. I had done prenatal yoga and then I went to yoga class just as a way of like, oh, I should probably be moving my body now that he's one. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And it was in that yoga class that my body started to tremor and shake. And it just created like such a deep curiosity in me. I think because I was already a therapist and understood to some extent that we're interconnected, body, mind, heart, and soul, it wasn't so scary for me, but it really created a deep curiosity of what my body was trying to do and say in that class. And so I went home and immediately started like, you know, Googling away and trying to figure it out. And then I came across this trauma-informed yoga and within a couple months was in the course. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And it was through that experience and then, you know, finding people like Bessel van der Kolk, who is one of the trauma therapist gurus out there and, you know, has a book called Body Keeps the Score that I started to really understand the way that our physiological body holds the memory of trauma, even when, even when cognitively and in terms of the context, it's a completely, there's a completely different thing going on. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like, where did this come from? Like it's, it's responding to something else because often we don't even know where the trauma has come from. Is that right? It's so early on in our childhood and then all of a sudden here we are trembling in a yoga class. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, so if I would have tried to kind of, go at that from my cognition, I wouldn't have really gotten anywhere mm-hmm. because I couldn't connect why my body was doing that with what I had experienced in my childhood, right? That was in the past and this is in the present. And so it took a lot of uh, a lot of different trainings and um, understanding the way that our body holds the memory almost even more so than our cognition. Like our cognition gets, we get really blurry actually in terms of what the literal 
memory is. Yeah, because we, we don't really is. remember things before four years old anyway, do we? Right. It's, it's not then, really online, our memory. Exactly. And then even after, what we know now is that when we experience trauma, even after four years old, we're not we're not able to connect all the parts of our brain that can integrate and make sense of it and have a cohesive chronological memory. We just get bits and pieces of sensation of, um, yeah, of different parts of our senses, right? Different smells, different things we see, different things we hear, different um, sensations in our body. And so it's just this kind of fragmented experience. So, so I just, can I just slightly go to, probably a little rabbit hole here but is this is is this why when in court uh women who have been abused attacked raped aren't clear or confused about what happened is that what you're saying it yes yes exactly that's exactly what i'm saying okay and so so they don't have clear evidence and 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 maybe it's not under this this piece that you're talking about is not understood by no those in the it's generally not understood especially by most lawyers that I've interacted with don't understand that when I'm you know when I'm advocating for children who have gone through trauma or women who've been in domestic violence situations because it's just not something that they're generally trained in and I would say while the research is becoming pretty apparent in in terms of how trauma lands in the physical cells of our body, mm-hmm. it's still not as widespread as it needs to be for mm-hmm. it to start to impact cases like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry, I, well, I had to go off track there. So go That's go back okay. to go back to your experience then of of uh, the trauma. Right, and, and so so what I started to discover is that. Through accessing my body, instead of trying to change my thinking, I actually had a lot more success in calming, which, in calming my anxiety, which, is, which essentially I came to understand was in regulating my nervous system. My nervous system had been in a place of thinking there was a constant threat when I could calm and soothe my body. Mm then it restored that balance where I knew that I was in a present moment where there was no threat rather than my body reacting the way that it would have in the past when there was a threat. So your, so your system was on fight or flight. Yes, exactly. And so, and so you were able to not talk yourself out of it, but somehow um, with breathing and with these, with, with yoga, um, movements able to reduce that fight or flight yes oh, yeah okay yeah so is yoga is yoga the answer then do you just go to yoga and feel fine <laughs> <laughs> no generally that's not how it goes oh, okay <laughs> no that's the thing is that it's um You can't necessarily just go to yoga and expect to feel differently. I mean, to some extent, it can be helpful, but you can even approach a yoga class from a place of kind of like push it till it hurts sort of thing, you know, making your body submit to what you want it 
to do. And yoga, the definition of yoga, is it means to connect. So when you're thinking of trauma, or we talked about in the last um, talk that we had, Madeline, how shame is one of the most pervasive symptoms of trauma. It's one of the most difficult symptoms to work with that lingers. And so when we're looking at trauma-informed yoga, I think it's helpful if we look at kind of the three tenets of trauma-informed yoga in particular, because the first is having a body. The second is befriending the body. Mm. And the third is body as a resource. You say those again, having a body. Having a body. Mm -hmm. So I have a physical body. That is mine, right? Right. Befriending the body. Basically, my body is for me, not against me, even when it might feel like it's against me in one way or another. It's trying to work for me. And body is a resource. So I can access strength in my body or I can access calm in my body as a way to as a way to regulate my nervous system, as a way to feel empowered, as a way to thrive in the world, essentially. My body can, my body is on my team and my body is just as much me as the thinking part of my brain, my my prefrontal cortex. So, 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 so just wait a minute here. Sure. So, (laughs) I, I mean, most people listening would say, well, I've got a body. I know I've got a body. What are you talking about? Having yeah. a body? Yes. Well, the thing is, is that I would have said that too. I would have 100% said that. But the thing is, when we're living in these deep places of our impacts of trauma, and in particular shame, which is that sense of I am bad, like I am innately bad, right? That's the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. Mm. That's a nice difference. I did something bad is guilt and I am bad is shame. Right. So if it's guilt, if I did something bad, I'm still good, but I did something bad. Mm. If I am bad, generally, subconsciously, we want we want to separate ourselves from ourselves, from the bad, because it's so difficult to tolerate that sense of I am bad. Mm. So in trauma, we know that um, dissociation can happen, which is very much a protective mechanism when we're being threatened in any one of those ways we will disconnect from our body because when we're being threatened, we have physiological sensations that go along with that that are that are painful and very, very difficult to tolerate. So we will we will disconnect and separate from ourselves in that in that sense. So we don't feel anything. Physically we don't feel anything and we don't remember anything. Is that right? Yeah, and we and we numb essentially. Numb down. Okay. Right? We numb what is happening for us so that we don't have to It's a really beautiful protective mechanism actually because mm-hmm. if we would stay in the moment, we probably 
would be so severely overwhelmed by what's happening. But in the healing of trauma, which, like I said, shame usually becomes that pervasive symptom that stays even long-term after the, the trauma event is done. In the, so in the healing of trauma, we need to actually come back into our physiological body. And a part of that is also coming to slowly have an experience of tolerating pain. Because we can't selectively numb. I don't know if some of our listeners know who Brené Brown is, who is a shame researcher. But she actually talks about the fact that we can't selectively numb. So if we're numbing the bad and the difficult sensations, the painful sensations, then we're also numbing the good, the joy and the empowerment, the confidence. And so it's a really, it's a really difficult, difficult thing, right? If we stay in a right. state. It's got a protective, beautiful protective factor, but there's a huge cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you you talk about these three things: having a body, befriending the body, and then using the body as a as a resource. And uh, before we let, let's just go to that before we go to break about. Sure. Uh, let's just go to befriending the body first. I think you've talked about that, but can we just clarify that again? Befriending the body. Okay. So the pain is coming back. We're feeling it, but oh my mm-hmm. goodness. How do you yeah. then befriend that? Yeah, I mean, it is it is a difficult process to learn that the pain itself is actually an ally in the sense of when, for one, if we can start to feel our pain, that means there's enough safety within ourselves to finally feel the pain of what's been stuck for so long. And the pain is always, it's always a messenger for an underlying need that we have. Mm. So whether it's physical pain or emotional pain, it's a cue that there's something happening internally that we need to look at and we need to attend to. And that if the need can be met, either for the physical body, you know, in terms of physical pain or emotionally, then the pain's not going to have to be there. But we can't, we can't approach it that way unless we look at it as actually trying to cue us into something really important and trying to help us the way that a friend would. So pain is progress. Pain is awakening of... Yes, and it means that you're moving. So you've got to go through this tunnel of pain and this dark tunnel in order to get to the light, to mm-hmm. to the other side. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's the that's the really difficult part, right? Is mm-hmm. that there's not a way to bypass the pain in order mm-hmm. to heal from it. You can understand why people don't want to go there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
And I certainly in many ways have not wanted to go there either at times, right? So tons of empathy for that. And I've learned through my experience personally and professionally how absolutely necessary it is to go there, hopefully in a very compassionate way, right? Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps be companioned with someone else, a therapist perhaps, to do that with you so that you're not alone because you were alone, presumably, when it occurred way back when. Yeah, I was and many people are. So that's exactly it, is that we need that safe other to kind of hold space for us Mm -hmm. to start to experience pain in a safe context. When you were in your yoga and you started to tremble, was somebody there for you? Did they pick up on that or was it, were you alone in that? You know, I was alone. However, I had, I had a best friend who had experienced that in a different context in um, in a physiotherapy session, and she had told me about it. And so I had her to be able to go to and tell about this experience right away. And both of us could start to become curious about it together. And I knew I was fully accepted and loved by her, regardless of what I was feeling or what my body was doing, that she was there for me, whatever I needed in order to heal. Mm. Now you're able to offer that to other people at uh, in your in your in your clinic. You're able to support people because now you know what's going on for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's you know we have to meet them where they're at. They're not all ready to go to their body right away, but I do start to introduce that it's probably a place that we sh- could and should go at some mm-hmm. point. Well, Danielle, we're going to have a break right now, but we're going to come back uh, to listen more, and I want to hear about your book as well. And so we'll we'll be coming back in just a few minutes to Reclaiming Your Body, Trauma, Yoga, and the Satya Model of Therapy. See you in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want to know more about how to work with children and adults to transform shame, depression, loss, and anxiety, order Dr. DeLittle's book, Where Words Can't Reach, Neuroscience and the Satire Model in the Sand Tray. The book is available online from Dr. DeLittle's website, wherewordscannotreach.com. Dr. DeLittle also conducts workshops and can come to your workplace or organization. If you wish to have Dr. DeLittle come and do a two-day workshop on an introduction to neuroscience and satire in the sand tray, please contact her at mdelittle at gmail.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You are tuned in to Where Words Can't Reach, shedding light on our dark side. We'd love to hear from you with any stories, suggestions, or questions by sending an email to mthelittle at gmail.com. Here again is Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Well, welcome back to Where Words Can't Reach, shedding light on our dark side. My guest today, if you've been with us before the break, is Danielle Braun Kaufman, who's talking to us about reclaiming your body and with regard to trauma, yoga, and the satir model. And we've been talking about the the body and and how uh, we can reconnect with the body uh, after um, perhaps years of unknown sequestered trauma and how you can regain a, a sense of, of completeness and wholeness. Welcome back, Danielle. Thank you, Madeline. So, uh, I wanted to hear about your book, but um, can we go back again to uh, what you were saying about uh, yoga and trauma and whether it's, I want to know, is all yoga going to do this trick? And Can you just go to 10 classes and feel better? Uh, wouldn't that be wonderful if you could (laughs) (laughs) sign me up (laughs) yeah yay there's a formula um the answer is no (laughs) oh (laughs) um you know it's a bit of a difficult question to answer in the sense that I I have been to some yoga classes that are not trauma-informed that have had a beautiful trauma-informed energy to them. Um, However, I think that the important piece with a trauma-informed class is that there's always, so some teachers, what I mean by that is the trauma-informed energy, to be really practical, would be that the class has a sense of safety, predictability, and choice in every single thing that happens in that class, from when you shut the door to the teacher telling you, I'm shutting the door now, rather than just doing it and it's startling someone, to any particular shape that someone might be in, offering many, many modifications so someone feels good and safe in their body, rather than trying to fit themselves into what typical yoga calls a pose we call it a shape so language is different so So you call it you call it a shape right yeah it's a shape rather than a pose because even the word pose has with it a performance kind of bent right Mm -hmm. that we're we're trying to get into some kind of a pose it might not have that for some people, but for many it does. And so the language is changed for that reason. With every single shape that's presented, it's always from a place of if it feels good for you, you know, not just place your hand here. Because <laughs> yeah, um, I've been to yoga and I people have come around and moved my knee or my neck and put it into yes. the right position. Exactly. The right position. And so when you're coming into just coming into your body again and starting to understand that your body is for you, that it's with you, that it's that it's yours, putting it in the right position is continuing to not be in relationship with it and understand what it needs at that moment in time. So maybe your neck 
doesn't need to be turned to the left in that twist. Maybe it's more comfortable for it to be turned to the right and actually giving your body an opportunity to be in a place of comfort. Again, with trauma-informed yoga, you're really consciously trying to work with the nervous system to help it be in a place of balance and usually calm and, and ease. So there's always choice. So people, when you go to a trauma-informed yoga class, you usually see, it's usually a smaller class. Our classes are a lot smaller. So there's more of a sense of community and safety. They're pre-registered. So you come, you know who's going to be there in every class. So there's that sense of predictability. And you usually see all the different people in the class are to some extent in a different shape, whether their heads turned a different way or one has their leg down and one has their leg up because they're all tuning in to listening to their body. And so that's the real difference between the majority of yoga classes, the way that we do them today in the West and trauma informed classes is that the yoga teacher brings in this constant sense of observation and witnessing and in particular being an empathic witness. So notice how it is for your leg to be in that place. You know, notice what's happening inside for you. And if you listen to my words, right, I'm not saying notice the pain that's in your leg. (laughs) (laughs) Notice how good that feels. I'm just saying from a very neutral place, notice how it is for your body to have that experience at this moment so that you, as the yoga student, you get to make the call whether it's a positive or a negative experience, whether it's an experience that you like or you don't like. And so it creates, too, that sense of really listening and observing your body for you and then deciding how you want to be in relationship with it. So some people might be like, oh, there is pain in my leg when I have it like that. But you know what? that's okay. I'm going to breathe into it. And I want to feel that sensation of pain right now so that I can slowly stretch that muscle, let's say, you know, and another person might be like, whoa, no, that's a lot of pain. And that actually, for me, gets me really, really anxious. And I don't want to have that experience right now. So today I'm going to put my leg down and not continue in that way. And that's okay. And that's okay. So it's Mm. really non-judgment, being an empathic witness, an observer, and deep, deep, deep self-compassion is what really we're trying to cultivate in a trauma-informed yoga class. Because really what the research shows us is self-compassion is the antidote to shame. And it starts with being curious and accepting your body and and not being pushed into something that doesn't feel right. So you begin to even notice what what is right, what what feels right in your body rather than what someone else is telling you to do. Exactly. But how would you know to which yoga to go to? I mean, is a yoga class is called trauma informed yoga? There are many that are. Ours, um, the name of it is 
yoga for self-compassion, for embodied self-compassion. So we're just getting right down to that theme. Like this is what we're doing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But then if you, you know, if you read through the details of the class, then it's very clear that it's a trauma-informed yoga class. So I would encourage, you know, if you're curious to try it, then check out your local yoga studio. Or if there's something like us in the area, like where there's therapy and yoga combined and ask if it's Mm -hmm. Mm trauma-informed. And what, and what you're saying there is a, the bridge between thinking, oh, what's going on for me and going to a trauma-informed yoga. There's a, there's a, there's a bridge there where you well, – what goes on there? You said it's not simply just simply to go to yoga. So what is it that has to – where's, yeah. where's the connection? So when you have those elements of safety, predictability, and choice in a yoga class, in a trauma-informed yoga class, those are the elements that are taken away from you in trauma, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you're adding in what you needed at that moment in time. So even if it's a, it's a completely different context, your body is having an experience of what it needed when it took on that experience of trauma, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Well, I was just, it does, absolutely. I just wondered how you go from, why is it that whenever I go into a certain place, I get I get triggered or awakened and something goes on in my body to go into a trauma-informed yoga class? How do, how do you make that connection? How does somebody say, oh, I need to be going to a trauma-informed yoga class? Mm. Well, I would say... It's a really good question, Madeline, because I think that oftentimes we're triggered and we don't understand that that's what's happening for us. Right. I think that if we are feeling any sense of confusion around having a particular response in a setting, you know, having more of a fight or flight response in a setting or a context that wouldn't necessarily, we would know that there isn't a threat there. Mm -hmm. That is a cue that our body is holding memory of having been in a fight or flight response at another point in time. And... So I used to think when that would happen for me, like, what the hell is wrong with me? Right? That was the shame piece. Like, this is nothing going on here, but you're an anxious mess. And, uh, and like I said, that wasn't helpful to shame myself for having that response. But now what I understand when that's happening for me is it's a cue for me to get curious about, huh, what is going on for my body right now? And I might not even, we might not even need to necessarily make the link between what our body's doing and an actual memory. Cause again, the memory is usually quite fragmented. It's actually just learning to trust that if your body is telling you something, even if it seems kind of absurd, it's telling you something for a reason and so getting into your body to explore that through something like trauma-informed yoga, which there's other ways too, right? We can look at 
dance and gardening and art and walking. There's different ways of getting into your body, but getting into your body when it's telling you something that you're confused about is the way that we start to understand it or maybe not understand it, even just soothe and calm it and have a new experience in our body, even if we never actually make the full link about what it's all connected to. We can have a new experience in our body through approaching our body in a new way. That's wonderful, Danielle. What, what, what do your people, your participants in your yoga class, what are you hearing from them as a result of spending time in this way with their bodies and seeing, befriending them and befriending their bodies? Yeah, I mean, I would say that what we're hearing is kind of, you know, the third the third part, again, is have, there's having a body, befriending a body, and body as a resource. And so by usually after someone does at least one kind of six-week class, but it, for sure after two, they're starting to really understand that their body is a resource to them, that their body has a message for them. And I would say most of what we're hearing is that they're coming into a new relationship with their body. They're, they're starting to see it as valid and a source of wisdom that they can listen to rather than this thing that just does what they want it to in life. And are you hearing that pain and uh, illness, physical illnesses uh, are, are lessened? I know in my experience, yeah. people have talked to me about back pain going. Yeah. Are you hearing that too? Yeah, we definitely are. That We've had some extremely, dare I say, miraculous stories where, you know, people who haven't been able to sleep for months and months because of pain come to even just one class and have like the best sleep, you know, they've had in months um, where they haven't been able to do any form of movement or exercise and they, you know, come to our class and they have like uh, increased range of movement in different ways. And then in terms of mental health, certainly we've found that many people have said, you know, it's one of the main things that helps them continue to stay regulated in day-to-day life and not have those overwhelming overwhelming sense of anxiety and depression so there's it's different for everybody depending on what they're coming in the room with but the other thing is that we say over and over again is that it's wonderful when these changes happen and one of the most important things that we offer is that we don't need anybody to be different than they already are (sighs) But they will be different. Often they are. And often, though, the thing that is different for them is that there's no other place in their in their world that allows them to come just as they are. Mm-hmm. With, Beautiful. You know, with whatever limitations they may have or struggles they may have where they feel completely held in a non-judgmental way and they can start to slowly explore what healing looks like for them. That's beautiful work, I must say. Well, before we leave this, the show, can you can you share with us your you're writing a book? This is this is mm-hmm. your personal narrative. You're writing a mm-hmm. book. Can you can you speak to your? It's a memoir, is it, of of your traumatic? 
recovery, yeah. the recovery from of trauma. Yeah, it is. It's, um, I mean, the first half of the book, well, it's written as a memoir with each chapter being written as the story of a memoir and then including the perspective of myself as a therapist and, you know, having had an immense amount of healing and helping to facilitate healing in others. So it's written as a story and then it adds in these pieces of perspective and wisdom that I've gleaned so that, so that there's understanding too in even the symptoms that I experienced from a very young age, how, how there was a message in those symptoms, how there was a positive intention behind them. So for example, I was suicidal from a very young age, from about 10 years old and till like my mid twenties. And what I've come to understand now is how that constant wanting to die was actually a message inside of me that said, not really that I wanted to die, but that I was tired of the pain of living, like that the pain was so great. And when I started to understand that this, this suicidal ideation was another way too of me protecting my parents and staying in connection with them. Because if I was the one that was so bad in that sense of shame again, that I should die, then I didn't have to face the fact that they were the ones that were hurting me. Oh, that's a sacrifice. Yeah. And yet, you know, in its roundabout way, it helped me survive. Like it kept me, it actually kept me alive in that it kept me connected to them. And as children, we need our parents to survive. Uh-huh. If, if I had put it all on them, I don't know what would have happened, but it could, in, you know, um, instinctively, I did it the other way around rather than putting it on them because I needed them to meet my needs, my basic human needs. And when you talk about pain, you're not talking physical pain. You're t- could you describe the pain? Is that possible? I can try. Yeah. I mean, the pain of living in a state of kind of chronic fear and shame, thinking that you are somehow the one that's causing the thing that's causing you to feel like your life is threatened is is almost unbearable um, emotional pain but what I know now is that for any emotion we have there's a physiological sensation that goes with it so I understand now that you know like I had stomach issues from the time I was very young and that that was also connected emotionally and I had headaches And that that was also connected emotionally for me. And so the pain was on many different levels, Mm -hmm. on many different levels, something that I felt like I needed to numb and escape from. And so suicide also was sort of like 
the again in this roundabout way like the one way that I clung to a sense of hope that I wouldn't have to be in pain and obviously I'm here so I didn't commit suicide um but it was like the fantasy of escaping that pain through killing myself that also kept me alive thank you for sharing that Danielle that's uh, very personal I really appreciate that do you have anything to leave the listeners with in terms of uh, uh, I wouldn't is it advice you want to give or a message somehow to the listeners hmm. I would say that whatever if you've experienced trauma, whatever symptoms you may be experiencing, whether it's anxiety or depression or shame um, or maybe a physiological sensation, that the starting point is understanding that the symptom that you're experiencing is not who you are, that it's something that is continuing to visit you to get you in touch with an underlying need. But if who you are, the core of who you are can start to be curious about the symptom and observe Mm. what it might be trying to tell you, that that's that's the starting point of healing. So it's not going back to the person that caused this or you don't have to go back and tell them how awful they were and yeah thank goodness hey (laughs) (laughs) no you don't that's an important point because because that's I think that a lot of of people think that that they've got you know they've got to duke it out with the you know the alcoholic father or whatever totally totally yeah no it is not about I mean if if there's a relationship there now that that can happen in a safe way that's wonderful I think that's beautiful and ideal and, and the exception though. Mm. Um, really it's about reparenting yourself and giving yourself what you needed at that moment in time. And because we're relational beings, the process of reparenting yourself also involves your relationship with those around you that are reflecting back to you that you are good and you are okay and you can be just as you are. So we get the opposite messages from those that hurt us, right? That we should be different, that if we were different, then, you know, they wouldn't be hurting us or there's so many different messages that we get. And so when we surround ourselves with people that say, no, you get to have your feelings and I love you just as you are, or you get to, you know, struggle with that and I love you just as you are. That's a disconfirming message to the message that we got when we were injured and we can start to internalize that new message and then try it on ourselves through self-compassion and... So it's a, it's a combination of both, right? It's it's because we're relational beings, we need those people to reflect that back to us. And we start to reparent ourselves through having those experiences. And that's actually, Madeline, another 
big piece of my book is that I walk through how that happened in my own life. Wow. Yeah. So reparenting, not deparenting, reparenting you're talking about. Yeah. Reparenting. So Mm -hmm. being the parent to yourself that you never got. Exactly. Through, you know, through internalizing these bits and pieces that these beautiful souls that come into our life and have eyes to see who we really are, Mm. how we take in what they reflect back to us. Mm -hmm. Because we want to grow and heal and change. Like I believe we're innately made that way that we want, we want that for ourselves. And so if we work with the way that we're innately made, Mm -hmm. um, we will move in that direction. I think it's Stephen Porges that talks says that the, the connection is a biological imperative that we we have to be connected. Yes. And so what you're saying is we're we're reconnecting with ourselves in a way that we didn't have, and we're nurturing yes. ourselves in a way we didn't we didn't get when we were totally. younger. And it's never too late. No, it is never too late. Isn't that wonderful to know? There's always hope. There's always potential for change and for well, transformation. Oh, it's incredible. It's why I love this work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it must give you a lot of hope when you see these folks that you work with just transforming and, and feeling more wholesome. And well, what would be the word you would say more connected to themselves or how would you describe them? Yeah, totally. More connected to themselves, which creates more connection to others as well. And just that that deep, deep sense of self-compassion. That they know that they are worth something in this world and that they belong. Mm. Beautiful. Danielle, thank you so much for this. It's been been really informative and I hope the listeners will perhaps get in touch with you to, to ask more questions and to mm-hmm. just seek out trauma-informed yoga or dance or whatever so that they can be in touch and mm-hmm. and become more self-compassionate mm-hmm. and, and reparent themselves. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Thanks, Danielle. Thank, thank you. you, Madeline. Thanks so much. So you have been listening to Daniel Braun Kaufman and it's been wonderful to have her with us today. Thank you for listening uh, to the show and tune in next week to hear more about shedding light on our dark side. And until then, look after yourselves. Thank you for listening this week to Where Words Can't Reach, Shedding Light on Our Dark Side with Dr. Madeline DeLittle. Please join us for another edition of the program next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.